it is necessary to investigate before legislating. But the line between investigating and persecuting is a very fine one. The investigators tell us it seems the suspect was going to pass them, then turned and fired. Christine, Laura, what you're seeing behind me is one of multiple locations. Arise to support the impeachment of President Donald J. Trump. And I'm about to talk to him about allegations that he was involved with prostitutes in Moscow and that the Russians taped it and have leverage over him. Hello. Before we get started with the show, I wanted to talk to you about uh, something that's near and dear to my heart, and that is sleep. I travel a great deal. I travel all around the world. I just got back from Kiev, crossing the Moldovan border. And the thing I always look forward to is getting back to my uh, king-size bed with my MyPillow mattress topper installed on the top. Now, I like a firm mattress because uh, I have back problems from uh, a long time ago uh, playing sports in high school. I love my firm mattress with the MyPillow mattress topper on top. You get the firmness, but also it's like sleeping on a firm cloud. I really can't explain it, but it is the most comfortable sleep I have ever experienced in my life, and I can't wait to get back to it every time I travel. If you go to MyPillow right now with promo code CDM, you can get a 50% discount on the mattress toppers. Uh, my Lindell is giving out amazing discounts right now. Um, get them while they last. Use promo code CDM at MyPillow.com and get the MyPillow mattress topper, the best sleep you will ever experience. Thank you very much. Now on to our guest. Welcome back to Information Operation. We're continuing our series on military officers who have had to deal with the COVID vaccine mandates and the aftermath of that tragedy from religious and medical exemption standpoint. Today we have with us, uh, it's First Lieutenant John Bose, is that right? That's correct. It's First Lieutenant so, John Bose. So uh, John is a, a, a fellow graduate of the U.S. Air Force Academy. I, I didn't know your rank. I'm sorry, I should have looked at that beforehand. But uh and he's an F-16 pilot, and he has been dealing with a lot, and we're glad to have him on. Thanks for coming on, John. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'd just like to start off by saying that these thoughts and opinions are my own, uh, and they don't sure. express those of the Department of Defense or the United States Air Force. Uh, that's correct. Sure. I'm a 2019 Air Force Academy graduate uh, and an F-16 student pilot currently uh, training to fly the F-16. Mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, in September, I was removed from training uh, as a direct consequence of filing a religious accommodation. And I've since been uh, just trying to occupy myself uh, and mm -hmm. do my best to uh, stand for my religious beliefs. Mm -hmm. uh, with that, uh, we've seen a lot of uh, coercion as well as um, some concerns about national security that I'd like to talk about, uh, especially yeah. on the side of, of pilots and aircrew. So let's start with your experience. Uh, you, you filed the exemption. What happened to you uh, when you filed the religious, religious exemption? Of course, yeah. So. Uh, I followed my religious accommodation because you know, I had sincerely held beliefs based on my Catholic faith uh, mm -hmm. about fetal cells in, in the vaccine, or not necessarily in the vaccine, but used to create the vaccine in some capacity. Mm -hmm. And all the vaccines uh, do involve fetal cells in some part of their, their process, at least the ones that are emergency use authorized uh, yeah. in the United States. Uh, and so in filing that, it's, it's a two-part process. You file for religious accommodation. It goes to a religious uh, and then it's sent to the major command. Uh, first, and then you can appeal to the Air Force Surgeon General. And uh, as of now, uh, both my initial requests for accommodation and my appeal have both been denied. Uh, and I've since received a letter mm -hmm. of reprimand uh, because of mm. my stance on the vaccine. So for non-military people, that that's a serious hit to your career and your file, your employment file, basically. So um, 
people should realize that. So go ahead. I'm sorry. Yes, absolutely. It's definitely, mm -hmm. um, it's definitely a serious hit, and it's also mm -hmm. a, a hit personally because I, I've been an officer in good standing for the three years that I've been active duty, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, it, it's unfortunate because I'm just trying to do the right thing, and so are so many other service members uh, right. by standing up for our religious beliefs and, and going through a process that has been uh, allowed both in law and in DOD policy, uh, and so, mm -hmm. so to see this summarily denied um, is unfortunate, and it's unfortunate the way they've been denied as well. It seems that pretty much across the board, service members have been receiving denials uh, that are basically templates uh, that are essentially, I'm not certain if they're actually copy or pasted, but they look that way because they have the exact same mm -hmm. language with some differences only in name and some slight personal details that were included. Uh, yeah. and, and of course, religious accommodations are supposed to be considered on an individual basis. Uh, and so I, I don't personally believe that, that my religious accommodation was... Uh, seriously considered or all the factors that I presented in them were seriously considered and many other service members feel the same. Are you involved in any uh, legal action right now? Are you considering it or, or and, and if you, I mean, you don't have to talk about it if you don't want to, but what's the overall legal situation in the Air Force facing this right now? I know there's probably multiple lawsuits, but you, can you give us a sense of what's happening from an overall standpoint legally? Yes, absolutely. So the, mm -hmm. the 20,000 foot view, as pilots like to say, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, of the legal landscape right now. Uh, there are a number of lawsuits out there. I'm personally a part mm -hmm. of one uh, mm -hmm. with Dale Saran, and mm -hmm. uh, it was just filed, I believe, last week in Texas. Uh, okay. That suit is targeted at the legality of the mandates explicitly, uh, mm -hmm. mostly in terms of the fact that EUA or emergency use authorized vaccines were mandated and those legally can't be. And we can get a little more into that later. Uh, but yeah. also, there's another number, number of other uh, lawsuits. The most successful one recently has been Navy SEAL 1 versus Biden. Uh, that particular lawsuit right. gained a injunction uh, for the Navy. And so most Navy service personnel are actually protected from adverse action if they filed a religious accommodation. Uh, so that's very good news. Liberty Council is also doing excellent work in their suit DOD-wide. Uh, yeah. uh, and there are a number of other service-specific lawsuits. I believe it's Doster v. Austin is also one uh, on the Air Force side. I might be misspeaking on that. Mm -hmm. uh, but Everything seems to be covered in these lawsuits. I know a lawsuit with chaplains actually was just filed recently as well. Uh, I saw so that, yeah. we're, we're attacking this from all angles and doing our best to, to litigate uh, from a broad perspective to try and see what sticks, if you will. Uh, mm -hmm. But as of now, we were expecting an injunction for the Air Force as well, especially since uh, the Air Force has been moving forward pretty rapidly with discharges mm -hmm. and notification of discharge at the least. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, some of the suits have kind of stagnated to some degree for now uh, in a lot of the legal uh, nuances, if you will, of trying to certify a class as large as the entire DOD. Yeah, yeah. So, do you think um, do you think there's going to be any like precedents which will come over to the Air Force as far as the injunction the Navy got? Uh, has your attorney talked to you about that at all? I mean, again, you don't have to talk about it if you don't want to. But, of yeah. course, you, you would you would hope uh -huh. so, uh, especially uh -huh. with um, the Liberty Council case in mm -hmm. Texas. I believe uh, we believe that we were going to get an injunction pretty quickly, but we haven't. Um, mm -hmm. I actually just read a, a, a filing I think that came out today that, that basically got into the nitty gritty of, uh, you know, certain national guard members and things like that don't necessarily apply to the suit. So, uh, there's a lot of, yeah. there's a lot of details that need to be worked out before I think any judge can be feel comfortable about issuing a, uh, temporary restraining order and injunction, uh, in the meantime, but many okay. plaintiffs have been protected. How, how do you think, um, and we'll talk about readiness in a minute, but let's stick to the personnel issues for now. Do you think that uh, people, if they, if, for instance, if you are discharged and then this gets resolved, do you think people will come back 
or do they think you think they'll just be so upset that they'll just move on with their lives? What are your thoughts on that? I think it's a mixed bag. Okay. There's a lot of service members who I believe uh, want to stay. And I think that's the majority. And I think that's uh -huh. really the point I want to hammer home in terms of mm -hmm. my experience of speaking to so many service members uh, about these issues is that so many of them simply just want to serve, myself included. Mm -hmm. I love flying. I, I've been dreaming mm -hmm. about flying my entire life. Both my parents were pilots uh, in the Air Force. Mm -hmm. and, and so uh, it's a dream that I don't want to give up. And that's why I'm fighting for this. Because on one hand, I have my lifelong desire to be a fighter pilot. But on the other, I have my religious faiths, and I simply just cannot give up on my faith to God, who got me here in the first place, simply right. to fly. And so, so many service members are like that. They're just simply going through the legal processes that have been afforded them uh, and that they're entitled mm -hmm. to. And mm -hmm. unfortunately, they're, they're still getting pushed out. And so I would say the overall sentiment is, yes, we still want to serve. I think that's overwhelmingly the case. Uh, but unfortunately, I think a lot of the coercion uh, that we've experienced has led to a number of people feeling disenfranchised and, and that's really unfortunate yeah. so many so many service members have family members who are in the services and these same service members are saying i wouldn't join right now uh, and, yeah. and so uh, when you look at it from that perspective it's going to be a recruiting crisis i believe for the department of defense for decades to come if this isn't rectified soon uh, because an overwhelming number are, are yeah. have military family members well it's a leadership issue and hopefully when we get rid of this uh corrupt leadership for lack of a better word um, hopefully those sentiments will be resolved. But uh, how, what do you feel, in, in my opinion, as the service academy grads, you know, we stood up STARS uh, a year ago, which you're familiar with, I believe, with General Bishop uh, for our audience, S-T-A-R-R, two R's, stars.us uh, is where you can go to find how we're fighting the CRT and a lot of this agenda in, in the DOD and specifically in the service academies. But I, I'm of the opinion that grads really have to stand up because if we don't, who else is, who's going to and, and fight this stuff? So what are your thoughts in the military? Uh, you're taking a stand. Are there enough of your fellow officers taking a stand as well? Or would you like to see more? You know, I would love to see more. I, I will mm -hmm. give credit where it's due. There are a lot mm -hmm. of uh, members of the military who are vaccinated and got the mm -hmm. vaccine who have expressed to me uh, that they agree with what I'm doing and that they feel mm -hmm. it's unfortunate. And so many more have, have said that I, I wouldn't have taken the vaccine if it wasn't mandated. Mm -hmm or that I felt pressured to because mm -hmm. of coercion. Just to give you a few examples of mm -hmm. some of that coercion that, that service members have faced, um, we have, uh, for example, my situation, student pilots uh, were taken out of flying status as soon as they filed in a religious accommodation. Right. And uh, another, I think, extreme example is pregnant service members have been told that they need to get vaccinated the day they give birth. I'm not a doctor, but I can't imagine that's... Um, sound medical yeah. advice no, to, to vaccinate someone after directly after birth. And so uh, there seems to be this like very, very, very unnatural and very hard push to vaccinate service members. And I, a lot of people are noticing that. A lot of people are noticing that. And uh, I mm -hmm. think it's causing a lot of people to feel distance from, from their beliefs on, on how well they're being taken yeah. care of in the Department of Defense. What do you have any, and, and again, you don't have to talk about this if you don't want to, but as far as medical, uh, you know, consequences of the vaccine, have you seen any of that uh, in people who have taken the vax inside DOD? Because there's a big controversy with a lot of the guys that are getting, you know, medical, trying for medical exemptions with alteration of the DMED data and, and other things like that. Have you seen any of that inside the Department of Defense? Yes, I, I have. I have seen and know of some injuries. Um, I won't get mm -hmm. too specific for the sake yeah. of their privacy. 
Uh, sure. But I've seen service members get myocarditis. A lot of service members get myocarditis, uh, mm. many of which are pilots, which is something that I know of one service member who was grounded uh, for months. I believe he's still grounded uh, over mm. this. And so we're not just losing service members to the mandates. We're losing them to, to vaccine injuries um, that are, are going somewhat unrecognized. How is this affecting readiness, in your opinion? I, I know you, you sent some talking points earlier, and you were very detailed in how you thought that was happening. Go into that for us. Okay, of course. So currently, right now, I'm aware of about 700 pilots who are, are fighting the mandate. Um, mm -hmm. And with that uh, comes a lot of inf interesting information and data. Uh, with those 700 pilots, you know, pilots talk to each other. It's a very tight-knit mm -hmm. community. I'm sure you know that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so in uh, talking to these people, it's astounding the numbers that have been released. And so there's a report that was sent to Congress that surveyed 357 pilots. Uh, and that survey included information about the cost of their training and taxpayer dollars, uh, the flight hours they have, the years of service they've been in, and some metrics like how many are instructor pilots, mm -hmm. how many support the nuclear mission, and other things like that. And so to break down some of the key points in the data, and we can go a little deeper into it as well. I think we've seen out the 350 pilots are worth $7.8 billion in tax dollars. Mm. Uh, it's, it's an astounding number. It's, it's a humongous cost that yeah, the taxpayers yeah. would be losing and military effectiveness just from training costs alone. The average years of service of these pilots is 14 years. So these are not inexperienced pilots, pilots like myself. These are senior yeah. pilots who have a lot of credentials and a lot of experience. Yeah. Exactly. 69% yeah. mm -hmm. of the sample was instructor pilots. Mm -hmm. And so when you look at the shortage that the Air Force, especially, and the Navy are experiencing, that's not a good number. That's not a safe number. Even those 357 outside of the 700 plus that actually exist, um, that's a huge detriment to our ability to keep up with the pilot shortage that already exists. And I know the Chief of Staff of the Air Force in 2015, Chief of Staff Goldfein, stated that a 1500 pilot crisis or 1500 pilot shortage was a crisis. Yeah. And so when you have 700 pilots, that's half of what is already considered a crisis. Uh, and that number has actually grown. I think the latest statistic is 1,650 pilots short. So the number is wow. growing. And I know in the fiscal year 21 budget request, the Department of Defense stated that their shortage was 2,100 pilots. Uh, and so this, these are astoundingly short numbers, especially in a time when you know, tensions with China and yes. Russia and Iran and Ukraine are all mounting. Uh, we can't afford to lose these pilots. And the Air yeah. Force knows that, and they've admitted that. And so uh, to state that this mandate is not an issue to national security, I think, is, is not true. Um, and it's a concerning statement because these pilots are necessary, and not only are they necessary, but they're necessary to retrain. And so if you lose 69% instructor pilot in a sample, yeah, uh, it's really that degrades yeah. the ability to even train new pilots. And so it's not like they'll be easily replaceable uh, if we do lose these particular pilots. Yeah, people need to understand that there's a pipeline, and it takes years and years and years to get people the, the skills and the, and the ability to teach other pilots. I mean, that's a skill that you have to develop yourself. Uh, as well. So uh, what other readiness issues are you seeing besides just the pilot force? So outside of the pilot force, um, I, I think some readiness issues, there's a lot of crew and maintenance especially, and I don't mm -hmm. have any specific data on maintainers, mm -hmm. um, but the Air Forces and the Navy are, are especially transitioning over to things like contract maintenance, which isn't, in my opinion, working extremely well. Um, mm -hmm. And we're losing experienced maintainers as well. So not only are we going to have issues with flying, but we'll have issues with maintaining the flying force. And even outside yeah. of that, there are so many military officers, thousands and enlisted who, who are fighting this mandate and could be lost. Uh, and so uh, when you look at the numbers, it's, you know, in the thousands. And so 
at a time like this, I don't think we can afford to lose any service members, right. but especially not that drastic of a number. And I wish I had more data for you, but at least in my sphere of influence, uh, I've been working only with pilots. Understand. Um, why did you go to the Air Force Academy, John? To fly? Certainly, yes. To fly, I think, was absolutely the primary motivating factor for me. Uh -huh. um, you know, I grew up and I remember finally things like even in eighth grade, I, I strived extremely hard in the science fair uh, because I thought it would matter for getting into the academy. And that would have been my mindset wow. pretty much my entire life was all throughout high school. Uh, I worked extremely hard. I was a valedictorian out of high school. Uh, mm -hmm. I did programs like Boys State, if you're familiar mm -hmm. with that. Yep, and yep. Uh, so many other programs. I was an Eagle Scout. And I, I did all yep. this to go to the academy. And I certainly enjoyed those hobbies as well. Uh, but it was mostly motivated to go to the academy. My mom was a 1988 grad. And my mm. father was an F-15 pilot and my mother was an instructor pilot as well. And so I have a heritage of military service and that goes yes. back to, I'm a fourth generation officer. My great grandfather was an army officer. My grandfather was a missile wow. officer. And of course my mother was an officer as well. And so uh, it's been a tradition in my family and so many members of my family have been a part of the military. And so I always felt inspired and I felt comfortable in that growing up around a fighter pilot, you know, I spent a lot of time with pilots sure. and it's just a community and culture that I loved and that I was super passionate mm -hmm. about. And so when I arrived at the academy, it was just a dream come true. And it's something I worked so hard for and, and worked very hard at the academy as well uh, to achieve. I was a soaring instructor pilot there, teaching people how to fly gliders uh, uh, and fell yeah. in love with flying to a large degree when I was doing that. And so it's been a passion nonstop and it's something that I, I've lived by my whole life. And so it's, uh, it's a dream come true to be here, but it's also unfortunate that it's in jeopardy. So uh, the Air Force trying to say you're, you're not a good officer following orders is just not accurate at all because you're very patriotic and motivated to serve your country, obviously, and Americans need to know that. Um, what did you see at the academy? Did you see, was the academy experience what you thought it would be? Uh, was there, was the discipline what you thought it would be or were you disappointed? Of, what, what did you see? You're a 19 grad, right? Yes, sir, I am. So what, what, how, how was your academy experience? I thought my academy experience was mostly wonderful. I, I really mm -hmm. enjoyed it. I had a fantastic mm -hmm. time. Um, I thought the education was outstanding. Mm -hmm. I thought the programs like the soaring program were just absolutely wonderful and gave me so much experience um, in aviation and also just existing in a military squadron uh, before I even went to my first squadron in undergraduate pilot training. Right. Uh, and so I thought, I thought the education was fantastic. I thought that uh, politically, the academy did a fantastic job of being extremely neutral at that time. Good. Um, and I felt that uh, at the time, I did feel a little bit of slackening uh, in some of the discipline, you know, and I think maybe that's more the fault of my generation more than anything else. Um, but at the same mm -hmm. time, uh, I felt that at least up until 2019, uh, the issues of the academy were extremely minimal. And I know things are changing a little bit there. Uh, and I won't speak to that because I yeah. haven't been to the academy. but. Um, at least right. in my time, I thought the academy gave me a nice foundation uh, for where I am today, uh, interestingly enough, because, you know, the academy taught so much about your oath as an officer. The whole point of the academy yes. is, is to make an officer. And so uh, in learning about that oath and learning about integrity and honor and duty and service, uh, those are all values that kind of led me to where I am right now. Because, you know, I'm not a bad officer. I'm right. in good standing. I haven't disobeyed an order because... I know that the order to receive this COVID-19 vaccine is not a, it's not it's executable not a legal right order. now. It, right. might be a, it might be a legal order from the perspective of Secretary Austin saying take an FDA licensed vaccine, but in execution, there is no FDA licensed vaccine available to us. So it's not right. an order I can follow uh, and it's not, therefore not a lawful order. And I've expressed that to my command and unfortunately, 
uh, it's fallen on deaf ears. And, and yeah. so with that, you know, I'm really just executing my religious freedom and my constitutional freedoms right now. Uh, and so it's unfortunate that I received this LOR because I don't believe the LOR is justified and especially not with the, the implications that it have as I, I proceed towards discharge. Are all the uh, people who are refusing the vaccine getting letters of reprimand or other Article 15s or anything like that? Article 15s are not something I've seen, but letters of okay. reprimand, letters of counseling, or sometimes mm -hmm. just straight notification of discharge uh, mm -hmm. after mm -hmm. they have uh, expressed their beliefs that they're not going to be able to get vaccinated. Um, it's typically yeah. just universally um, leading to discharge. I will say there is good news, though. I know of at least three separations boards. And for those that don't know, a separations board is essentially the due process service members are entitled to uh, when they're being um, involuntarily separated. And so uh, yeah. three of those separations boards, uh, one in the Navy, two in the Marine Corps, have determined that the order is unlawful. Uh, they found no basis really? of wrongdoing and they retain those service members because the board found that there are no FDA licensed vaccines and therefore the order can't be executed right now. Uh, so that's the good news. And people are starting to realize that. And I think that's where a lot of traction can be made is that right now, hmm. judicial process is determining that this is not an executable order. And I think that's a really important thing to note uh, and see. And I hope commands start to realize that and start to change their stance on, on what they're doing with service members. John, thanks. Is there anything else you want our audience to know that, you know, a lot of people in the military will watch this and uh, and beyond. So Anything else you want to get out there? Yes, absolutely. I would like to tell uh, any service members that are, that are actively in this process right now, hang in there. There's a lot of good news coming our way. And the courts, although they don't move fast, mm -hmm. I like to say they don't move at the speed of sound. They move at the speed of law. Uh, and so uh, hang in there true. for that. Stay true to your beliefs. To the service members who are vaccinated and disagree with these mandates, speak up. Because now is the time. It's everyone's sworn oath. We all swore the same oath as officers and as enlisted personnel. We all have that same commitment to the Constitution. Speak up, talk to your commands, and support those in your commands that are actively fighting this mandate. And finally, to those that are on the civilian side, I encourage you to contact your representatives um, and speak out about this. Share the news, spread this podcast and others, uh, and really make sure that it's known this mandate is not lawful right now and there are so many service members that are struggling and the national security a national security that us taxpayers pay for is in jeopardy uh and that, that's a serious issue especially right now john thanks so much for your time and good luck and we hope you'll come back on down the road as things progress in your case and and let us know how things are going um, with your personal situation thank you again i appreciate it sir thank you